Welcome to the Rosenbox, where dancers go for show prep and candid chat. I'm Claire Kretschmar. And I'm Aron Sands, and we are dancers with New York City Ballet. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Rosenbox. Hi, Claire. Hey, Aron. What do you have in storage for us today? We're going to be talking to Andrew Sill, who is the associate music director of New York City Ballet. And um, he's going to fill us in on what it's like to conduct for New York City Ballet and also in juxtaposition to what it's like to conduct a symphony, say. Because conducting for ballet is quite particular. And when done well and in union with the dance, it's extremely gratifying Mm -hmm. for the dancers, but also I would think for the musicians and the conductor. Well, I can't wait to hear from Maestro himself And without further ado, we welcome Andrew Sill. Welcome to the Rosenbox, Andrew Sill. Thank you. Uh, Andrew Sill is the Associate Music Director at New York City Ballet. So he's one of our conductors, conducts a lot of the performances that we do. And you also play the piano. I do. Uh, In fact, here at City Ballet, a few times I've played the Liebes Lieder waltzes with um, Susan Walters. So... Mm. Uh, that's, I think that's the only thing I've played officially here, but every once in a while, I've stepped into a rehearsal and played the piano. Wow, so if you play the piano in a performance, is I'm assuming someone else is doing the conducting? Yes, um, although with Liebeslieder, it's two jobs because I'm sitting at the piano playing with Susan, but there are four singers just to my left. And so it hides the fact from the audience that I'm actually calling out loud sometimes. I don't know if you dancers do this on stage with each other, but I'm saying, and, or I'm saying, one, two, go. (laughs) And nobody, of course, can hear that except for the singers. But because we all have our backs to one another, yeah, I'm sort of conducting and playing at the same time. It works. It's like the mystique of the performance shrouds that kind of. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I can confirm that we do that all the time. Not just and, but sometimes like counting. We can count particularly if you're facing the back or if the boy's behind the Mm -hmm, ballerina. mm -hmm. You can really keep on counting. And, you know, you know how the counting can go on and on and on. And depending on the piece can be very different. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's good. It's stabilizing. Yeah, I'm sure. For for everyone. Yeah. 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 Well, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to have this position at New York City Ballet? Sure. The dance part in my background came almost by accident. I was 17 years old, and I got a phone call from Hugo Fiorato, who for many years was a conductor here at New York City Ballet. Mm -hmm. He had just moved to the town where I grew up, and he found out my telephone number, and he said, I hear that you're a, a fine young pianist, and would you like to read some chamber music with me? I'm new in town, and I was very excited about that. So we got together and we did play some things. He was a wonderful violinist. But I said to him, you know what I'd really love to do is I'd really love to study conducting. So he was my first real conducting teacher. And because of that, I came to New York City Ballet. You know, I I shouldn't admit this, but I will. My mother loved ballet, but it did nothing for me because I only saw it on television. And then Mm. when I studied with Hugo and when I came to New York City Ballet, the first thing I saw was Four Temperaments. And I absolutely, it was like somebody just smacked me in the face with this incredible combination of music and movement and athleticism and 
beauty and the whole thing was really overwhelming. I loved it. So that was kind of an eye opener. And then when I was studying conducting with Hugo, I was studying pieces that New York City Ballet did, but that you wouldn't normally study in the course of a conducting class, things like Apollo or Orpheus or pieces where you're not going to necessarily learn that in a conducting class mm -hmm. at, a, at a conservatory because, you know, they're so closely allied to the ballet. Anyway, so then fast forward a few years, when I was in graduate school, my first actual conducting for dance was with the Eric Hawkins Dance Company downtown. And that was really cool because it was a very small ensemble, but Eric Hawkins always, even when there was very little money in the coffers, he always used live music. And, wow. and he had a very strong aesthetic about how he wanted to use music. And so that was kind of eye-opening in its way. And then finally, uh, when I graduated from graduate school, from Manhattan School of Music, I was looking around for what I was going to do, and I thought that I was going to go to Europe and audition to be an accompanist or an assistant conductor for opera, but then the Boston Ballet was looking for somebody who could play the piano in the studios and do the assistant conducting, and so I auditioned for that, and I got that, and boom, there I was. So that was my, my entry into ballet. Mm -hmm. And how many years were you at Boston Ballet? I was there for two years. And then I got a symphony job in Florida, and I thought to myself, well, I love ballet, but I would like to do some just purely symphonic conducting because I, I just I wanted that to be part of what my professional life would be, some sort of mixture of the two. And so that was wonderful. But even in the various orchestras I worked for, there would always be opportunities to conduct for ballet. And so I always looked forward to those. And do you still conduct for just an orchestra as opposed to conducting an orchestra for ballet? Mm -hmm. I do. Symphony. Yeah. yeah. Every mm -hmm. once in a while I do. It's, it's not as often as I used to, but it's interesting. It's such a different experience as a conductor. And it's not just because, you know, you have the responsibility of trying to collaborate with dancers to make them feel good about what they're doing, but it's a different audience response somehow. I don't really know how to describe it, but when, when I'm conducting for ballet, I feel like the audience is so caught up in the entire experience, but I can also feel that they're caught up in the music as part of that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in a symphonic concert, there's a different kind of energy that comes from the audience because it's so entirely dependent on what you're doing with the music. So. Mm -hmm. I know that's not a very clear explanation, but I can feel the difference. Yeah, and I think at New York City Ballet performances anyway, what, what I notice is that you might not feel the same way during the performance itself as you would conducting a symphony, but afterwards the audience rapport is extremely generous yes, for is. the mm -hmm. orchestra. Like when the orchestra stands up, that's when the audience yeah. stands up. You know, yeah. it's like they might not stand up for us sometimes, but then yeah. when they see you stand up, that's when they really like show the generosity of support. So There's an understanding and appreciation for the fact that live music and live music of quality is something that's it's appreciated here because, A, uh, it is the quality it is, but also, B, you're not going to find that everywhere. I mean, there are a lot of companies that don't dance to live music, or there are a lot of companies that can't necessarily afford an orchestra of the size and quality that our orchestra is. So the audience continues to, to really appreciate that. And I, of course, it's very gratifying, you know, when you go out on stage and you 
stand the orchestra and the audience goes wild, then uh, <laughs> that's a really good feeling. Yeah. 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 And speaking of conducting for ballet to conducting a symphony, what would you say are the major differences? From a conductor standpoint, if I'm thinking about, well, like, uh, I'll give an example from our rep. If I'm going to conduct Stravinsky Symphony in Three Movements in a concert, the pacing of the music, what I'm building towards, is going to be a lot more dependent on that orchestra in that room on that particular occasion. Whereas if I'm conducting Symphony in Three for you folks on stage, then, of course, there's still the, the consideration of, you know, what the audience energy is like, what the dancer's energy appears like to me. But I'm, I'm also much more aware of the fact that Balanchine has also created an arc to the way the, the energy builds and ebbs and flows in that piece. And so it might be quite different. I mean, the obvious answer to your question, I guess, is, is tempo, too. Mm -hmm. Like, would I always mm -hmm. choose the same tempos in a concert? as I would choose for ballet? And the question is no. But I think we overuse that excuse a tiny bit. <laughs> um, I mean, it's really interesting because musicians who come and conduct for ballet for the first time, a dancer will say, oh, gosh, that's, that's, that feels way too slow. But the truth is you have to learn, not that I'm great at it yet, but I'm still learning. You have to learn that sometimes dancers say something different from what a musician would say. So I think that's the hardest thing about the job is really learning to communicate with each other. And if somebody says that's way too slow, sometimes I can get away with doing it the same speed but putting more breath at the end of a phrase. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes, you know, I can take it down one notch on our metronome and all of a sudden, you know, it's like the skies opened up and there's sunshine and <laughs> and everybody's happy. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's 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 one of those things where, yeah, you have to be aware of tempo because you guys, unlike us, you have to defy gravity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and your bodies are telling you, oh, my God, I can't hold this position any longer. And so, yeah, we have to be mindful of that. But I think I think there are a lot of ways to navigate that. There are a lot of ways like the the best ballet conductors the ones whom I admire certainly are the are the ones who make it sound as though even though they're conducting a tempo or a, a pacing to make the dancers look good, it's totally convincing musically. Mm -hmm. And 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 I would buy it. You know, mm -hmm. I buy that interpretation mm -hmm. in a concert. And that's the, that's when it really is amazing. And of course that's what we're going for every time, but I'd love to say I achieve it even the majority of the time, but I'm not sure I do. Yeah, and it's probably hard to, you know, discern whether you do every night just because it's different and you're in the moment catering to so many different moving parts, moving musical parts, yeah. as well as dancing. It's true. But what you were saying makes me think back to when I was in the company and rehearsing. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking how cool it is that dancers can tell when a tempo is faster or slower than what they've been used to yeah. because we know it in our bodies yes. like if you mm -hmm. were playing the music we might be like oh yeah that sounds good but then when we get to do it within our bodies we're like oh no that's way too fast yes, right so it's like uh, our our bodies have this internal in, yeah this intelligence mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know sometimes we can be wrong in the way we might communicate what we need too but I just always thought it was cool that at least most dancers uh, at New York City Ballet I think we can tell when it's faster or slower 
what we've been practicing just because oh, we feel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and you get a you get a, a sort of full body experience of the music. One of the things, even as a conductor, who you know, I'm I'm moving more than everybody else in the pit, uh, just because I'm you know I'm waving my arms around. But even with that, the the muscle memory is not as much of a full body experience. And you know, as I say, I mean, I'm I'm also not really defying gravity except to move my arms up and down. So, so yeah, I'm I think it is something that gets really ingrained in how you all move, but not quite the same way the way we move. Mm-hmm. I wish it did. I mean, you know, I'd love to have that kind of sense, but mm-hmm. but the, it also comes too with repetition. I mean, there's no substitute for having conducted a ballet. 50 times you know the first time I can name almost any piece in our repertory but I know that they finished the season with Prodigal Son Mm -hmm. I didn't conduct it this season but I remember conducting it for the first time and even though it was four or five performances during that season I never felt comfortable with the pacing and it wasn't just whether the tempos were right or not it's the sense in my body that this music is flowing in a way that makes sense to me. And, you know, this music is flowing in a way that makes sense to me and works for the stage. And so, you know, I, I was in constant contact, of course, with the dancers and the rep directors who were responsible for it. But there's no substitute for eventually doing a performance and having people on stage say, yeah, that felt good, and having me feel like, oh, yeah, that felt like it had mm-hmm. a flow that mm-hmm. I, I wish, I mean, I, I have, I say this to people a lot, I, I wish I never had to conduct a piece for the first time. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Know, there's just, because it, it just doesn't, usually it just doesn't feel good the first time, and it, sometimes for a couple of times after that. Sometimes I would feel that way I about agree performances. With that. <laughs> I agree with that. I wish sometimes I can just reach to that point where like you're comfortable and you've gained wisdom and you're just like yeah. feel very confident about it but yeah you gotta do yeah you gotta the start previous somewhere once you get there that's yeah. It. That's yeah. It. yeah that's what they call like you know the loving the journey yeah instead of the destination <laughs> yeah well yeah I think the, you're right I should I should try and enjoy that those sort of insecure painful moments more that's <laughs> yeah. right that's it though and speaking of this could you describe what the conductor-dancer relationship is like, either just with, like, one dancer or with, I guess, a group of dancers? But, yeah, what is your relationship like with a dancer or the dancers? That's a really good question. And I, for me, it really depends on the dancer because I think what I would love to think here, although it's true with some dancers more than others, is that every feels like they could come to me and and ask for what they want Mm -hmm. or talk to me about what's feeling comfortable or uncomfortable. And and I think a lot of dancers do now. That wasn't necessarily the the case early on. But I think, Mm -hmm. honestly, uh, you know, I I, I will go into an honest place here and say that this company has an interesting history with talking to conductors or not. Because when Balanchine was around, it was definitely the case that the dancers didn't really talk to the conductor. Balanchine would say, look, you dance to the music. Now, Balanchine, of course, would go over to the conductor and say, you know, that's not going to work for us, a little too fast, whatever. But individual dancers probably had to have a lot of courage and realize they were going a little bit behind the back of, if not the boss, then at least the the understood um, mechanism. But my journey in, in ballet has not been like that. I mean, when I was at Boston Ballet, Dancers talk to me all the time, and and 
other companies, dancers are, are happy to talk to me. And, and I want to I want to make people look good on stage. So, yeah, the relationship between a dancer and the conductor really depends on what the person needs. There was a ballerina at Boston Ballet, Marie-Christine Muise, who was absolutely beautiful. She just, she had this incredible way of moving on stage. And in the two years that I was there and all the performances I conducted for her, she never said a word to me once. Not because she was standoffish or anything else, but she just said, you know, please just play. And whatever it is, I'll dance to it. And she could. Mm. And then there are dancers who will talk to me constantly about, you know, <laughs> all sorts of nuances within a phrase. And it's not that I prefer one over the other, because as long as somebody's speaking to me, you know, with a modicum of, of respect or appreciation for the fact that I want them to look good, then I'm, I'm happy to take as much information as they want to give me. Mm. But it can vary so radically. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting, you know, at New York City Ballet, <laughs> the dancers are so good that if I were conducting somewhere else, very often I can look on stage and have a sense of if someone is uncomfortable, if a dancer is uncomfortable. You know, oh, that looks like I'm really pushing that person too, too much. Mm-hmm. New York City Ballet, I've had a few experiences, which I'm not terribly proud of, where I really did a, did give a, a, a unworkable tempo for somebody, and it looked good. So <laughs> however they made it work, it looked good. And then later on, they said to me, oh, man, that was, that was way too <laughs> slow or fast or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, but in a way, in a funny way, you know, it's kind of frustrating because I don't I, – I would love to – You can't read. Yeah, I'd love mm-hmm. to have that sort of sense – just from looking whether I'm, I'm making somebody comfortable or not. But unfortunately, you guys are just all too good, so mm-hmm. I don't get that same kind of feedback here that I might get somewhere else. Yeah, well, and um, I mean, dancing on the music with the music is one of the key elements, elements of yeah. the Balanchine yes. technique. Yes. So I think that it's just always going to be paramount to what we're doing mm-hmm. and that if the music is at a tempo that's, you know, even to us might seem unworkable, we're still going to make it yes. work because we understand how important being on the music is. And, and mm. you guys do. I mean, you know, I mean, I've seen not just with the times that I have discovered that I was off, but I mean, you know, with, with other conductors and visiting conductors, like sometimes, especially during Nutcracker, somebody will come in and something will be radically different speed. But you would never know if you were sitting in the audience that that the, that speed was different or uncomfortable or anything else because the dancers just take, I guess, I mean, I'm assuming you take a deep breath and say, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is what we do. <laughs> that is it. Yeah. I do have to say that, and this has taken me some time to, like, realize, but a lot of the times when either we're rehearsing and you're there conducting or the show, a lot of the times the dancer is going through some circumstantial moment, meaning that day they could be more tired, which they might want the tempo to be faster because they can't hold as much. Or they want it to be way slower. And I wish I could have told myself a few years ago that like, it really doesn't matter exactly what it is that you are getting that day because you will feel a certain way and it might match or not. The most important thing is that you listen to it and that lean into that 
regardless of how you're feeling because you're never going to get exactly what it is that you want because you don't know what you're going to want until you're there and you're doing it and you're like, oh, wow, I really feel like I can push or like, wow, all those hours of rehearsals are really showing up now yeah. and I wish that tempo could be faster. But yeah. there's there's no reason of like afterwards for me to have to give so much feedback. So I'm like, that could have just been me in rehearsal that I couldn't do it any faster. And then I go to the show and I have adrenaline. And I'm like, I want it triple. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. So yeah. I, I really learned to really respect how the conductor is that day, how I'm that day and like work with that and, and be happy and not, you not pick it so much. Yeah. It's it, well, it is difficult because you're, you're absolutely right. And, and just as, as you're going to have different feelings on a particular day. I, I remember one time I came in and I had to do a see the music on Stravinsky Violin Concerto, and then I conducted it right after that. And there were some people in the audience, including Andrew Litton, the music director, who said to me afterwards, wow, I can't believe you got away with those tempos. It was so fast. And I had no sense that my Stravinsky that night was faster, except that it made sense to me because because I was nervous to do a good see the music mm -hmm. and, and I was mm -hmm. really keyed up mm -hmm. that it had gone mm -hmm. well. And then I started <laughs> conducting. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. it's perfectly understandable. Uh -huh. Oh, wow. It was okay. I was I cranked yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I think, you know, from your previous question, too, I, I think keeping the communication going and realizing that if it's perfect on a given night, it might be just that everybody got lucky and we should be grateful for that. Exactly. But it'll be different tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, if you, it, if it, you know, unfortunately, if it sucked tonight, maybe it won't suck tomorrow. Yeah, you take the wins when you get them. Yeah, and then absolutely. the ones that aren't, you know, that don't fit together seamlessly, you just do mm -hmm. your best, you yeah. know, for both the dancers yeah. and the musicians and the conductor. I do also realize there was a, a, a person who came in and conducted a guest to, um, some years ago and I was sitting in the audience and I was watching the stage and I learned something, which is that because this this conductor was very anxious about getting the tempos right. And what I learned from watching that person and watching the dancers and watching this whole process was, oh, New York City ballet dancers can handle it if it's too fast. New York City ballet dancers can handle it if it's too slow. What they can't handle very well, and there's no reason why they should, is if the conductor is not making up his or her mind and the music is not oh, gelling into yeah. one really strong interpretation. Uh, I agree uh -huh. with that. So, you I know, agree with that. so now when I do a performance, the ones that I'm really least happy about are the ones where I feel like, no, I didn't commit to mm -hmm. whatever it was. Wow, yeah. I, I think that commitment, I learned watching that night that that, that kind of commitment, you know, if you're going to be wrong, okay, you're wrong, and they'll, people will yell at you and say, um, I actually do remember Peter Martin saying to me one time, he said, look, he said, you're going to come backstage and I'm going to tell you it was too fast or too slow or whatever I'm going to tell you. But he said, in the meantime, I want the music to sound compelling and the dancers will be able to handle that. And mm -hmm. then we'll deal with whether it was too fast or too slow. And that I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And sometimes Absolutely. sometimes as artists, you do just need like one thought. Yeah. You need one thought to guide your whole performance because yeah. otherwise you start to nitpick it and then the overall thing ends up being bad because yeah. you yeah. were nitpicking the whole time you yeah. were doing it instead of just letting one guiding 
thought or force like yeah. may give you yeah. a compelling. Committing to yeah. that feeling that you're going for that day. Yeah. Regardless of what it is. And for the listeners who may not know, can you explain to us what is a see the music? Oh, yeah. I, I should have said that. Every once in a while, we in the orchestra will take a ballet and we will play little excerpts from it, but also the conductor will explain something about the music, either about the way it fits with the ballet or something about how the composer put it together or something that we hope will give listeners some extra background or something more to grab onto when they're listening to the music and then as they're watching the ballet to, to give it an extra dimension. Mm -hmm. And one of the features that's really fun about See the Music is that our pit is on a lift. So, of course, when we're playing for you all, we're down underground. But for See the Music, the pit actually rises up and the orchestra is at a stage level. And so it's always fun first time or two there there were actual you know expressions of delight maybe not gasps but um <laughs> expressions of delight you know from the audience when the the pit would start to come up now they're getting more used to it but mm -hmm. it's it's actually a lot of fun it's it's mm -hmm. fun to be able to engage with the audience on that different level is it fun to ride the lift <laughs> <laughs> it is actually fun to ride yes i won't lie to you I mean, what's, what's also fun is, you know, of course, the conductor is on a podium because we have to have some ability to view not only the stage, but everybody in the pit. And so, yeah, so as we're riding up, it's fun that we're also, like, getting higher than everybody else. Yeah. And I love that. I don't know if you do it on your way up. I don't think you do. But definitely on your way down, you guys usually play some kind yeah. of piece. And I feel like there was one where it was very like pomp and circumstance. -y. Yeah. It wasn't pomp and circumstance, yeah. although I know that that has recently been played. Yeah. Yeah. But there something where you guys started to go down and it was like this very like rah-rah piece and it just made me smile so much mm -hmm. that you were like descending and like playing the rah-rah mm -hmm. piece it, it before is still the ballet. A, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's still a, it's, it's sort of a funny thing that the orchestra is going up or down uh, <laughs> while it's playing. But I actually, I like to do that when I put together the little script for those see the music. I like to play when we're coming up and play when we're going down, mm -hmm. mostly because I don't want that to be dead time. Yeah. And as interesting as it is to watch all of those people come up on a lift. <laughs> it's a little weird if it's <laughs> I was better with music. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. It takes like, I, I think I've timed it's like 48 seconds or something. So, you know, it's a little too long to just sit there and wave. Yeah, that yeah. is a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do have to say, from the dancer's perspective, if you're in that show, we can't hear anything oh, or yeah. very little. I know. Yeah, really. So a lot of times for us, it's, we're just waiting for it to happen. And I do wish, because I, I, I like it. Anytime I'm in the audience, I enjoy when there's this yeah, music. Yeah. Especially if you're in that ballet in particular, I do want to get the whatever insight sure. it is. So I'm always a little sad yeah. that I get to, to miss it. And we don't see you guys rehearse it or anything. So That's true, yeah. There isn't any chance for us to hear it. And sometimes, even if we could listen to it, we're so already focused that yeah. like we can't really, we're not in a place yeah. to take any information. No. Yeah. But I'm always very curious every time I miss it, and it's quite often, I'm curious to, to, to know what it is that I missed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the good thing is that now some of the See the Musics are recorded and put onto yeah. the, actually the other part of the, oh, yes, the, that's the right, City yeah. Ballet, the podcast, yeah. is that See the Music section, so 
for people who do want to listen or dancers who want to listen. Some of them do end up on the podcast, which is cool. Yeah, and, and it, it's fun for us conductors because we sort of have carte blanche in the sense that we can talk about the music in whatever way makes sense to us personally. So mm -hmm. I think mm. among the you know those of us who do it, you'll get a very different perspective. If three of us did Symphony in Three, you would get three very different you know, takes on Symphony in Three, yeah. and that's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And it reads, it reads that it's personal. Good. And, and oh, what good. that conductor likes to talk about and what they see in the, in the music. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah, personal touches are always more engaging, I think, just generally. What about conducting a new ballet, like a ballet that's never been done before? How is that different or normal, similar to what you do for an existing work? Well, f first of all, it's always a privilege to feel like you're part of, of creating a new work. It's just such a privilege, and New York City Ballet does so much new work. You know, that, that's one of the things about this company that's so amazing, is that we have an opportunity, and, and, and so much variety in the music that's chosen. I think the, the process of it, in a way, and I hope this doesn't sound glib, because I don't mean it to be, but Conducting a new ballet, in a way, is the easiest from this perspective. We have time to live with the music from a fresh perspective so that as it's being taught in the studio, we're very slowly learning how the music and the choreography are going to marry together. Mm -hmm. Probably a number of your listeners wouldn't know this, but many of the ballets that we do at New York City Ballet on a regular basis do not get a dress rehearsal with the orchestra and the stage together. If we're doing a piece like Serenade, there will almost never be a dress rehearsal with the orchestra and the dancers. The dress rehearsal, which we call our complete, is with piano and dancers. And part of that's because many of our dancers know the ballet already and have a sense of how mm -hmm. it will sound with the orchestra, but there are other considerations as well. However, with a new ballet, we always have at least two opportunities for an actual dress rehearsal with the orchestra and the stage. And for the conductor, that's so valuable because it goes back to what we were talking about before of, you know, you wish you didn't have to do something for the first time. Although yeah. the, the great thing is with a new ballet, you don't. <laughs> mm. you, you've got two dress rehearsals to sort of work through whatever issues you might have. So it's exciting. It's in a way more comfortable. Of course, there's also the excitement, which I'm sure you guys feel of, What's the audience going to think yeah. about this? Um, what's the energy going to be like? I mean, I didn't actually do the premiere of Playtime, the ballet that Gianna Risen made to Solange's music, but I did conduct some of the later shows during that first season. And something as simple as the curtain going up and this montage on stage with these costumes and the audience going berserk, you know, before <laughs> they've seen a step. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, and I always feel, I mean... I've got to say that when the curtain goes up on certain ballets like Symphony of Three or Serenade, mm -hmm. no matter how many times you've seen it, the visual impact of what happens when that curtain goes up is so striking. I almost, when I'm conducting Symphony in Three, I, I have to look because I'm supposed to start the music when the curtain goes up to the top, so obviously I have to look and know when the curtain's up. But I can get almost distracted, shocked still mm -hmm. by what Balanchine created, which is just a line on stage of people. But mm -hmm. it, it makes such an impact. It's yeah. just so incredible. Anyway. You don't have to pick one, but we would love to 
here, what are some of your favorite things to conduct? You know, Hugo Fiorato, whom I mentioned before, who was my teacher, he used to say, he used to say, oh, I hate when I get that question. And he said, but I do have the perfect answer. And he said, and it's honest. And he said, it's whatever I'm conducting right then. Mm. I can't say that's exactly true for me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. Um, my favorites, it varies a little bit. And it varies with a given season and how it feels to me to conduct something. I love Orpheus, the music to Orpheus, even though it's rather strange. But I have to say I've only conducted it during one season so far, and I was not happy with the way I conducted it. So Orpheus and I, the music and I, have this relationship now where we have to make up. Mm. So is it one of my favorites? Well, not right now. But that's only because I, I need a season in which I'm conducting it again and making up with it. But my favorites. Uh, Symphony in Three Movements is one of my absolute favorites. Four Temperaments. I, I love, I don't care how many times I hear it, I love that music. And, you know, I'm sure there are many other ones, too, that, that I'm just blanking. I love Fancy Free. I love conducting Fancy mm -hmm. Free. I, j I feel like that music, even though it's a generation earlier than me, I feel connected to it in a lot of different cultural ways. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, boy, if I, if I went down the whole list of City Ballet rep, I could pick out, I bet, a dozen pieces that are yeah. really my favorites. <laughs> yeah, we have a hard time picking our favorite yeah. ballets, yeah. And it's, it's too, a question so. we get asked very frequently. Yeah. Like, what's your favorite thing to dance? And you're like, well, again, whatever you're working on usually affects your decision. Because yeah. yeah. you're so focused and you're getting so much from it that you're like, well, this is my favorite thing right now. Yeah. I know. And sometimes the thing that, like, was hard... When you look back, you're like, oh, I just love it still. Yeah. Like, you know, it's kind of like the Orpheus thing. You still love it, even yes. though in the moment of you working on it, it was hard. You were not, yeah. you're not loving it at that moment. Yeah, yeah, in hindsight, you're like, that was awesome. It was so rich, whatever the experience Horrible was. memories. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, because strangely enough, I've, I think I've been here, um, I have to do the math, 14 years now. And until last year, I had never done Afternoon of a Fawn uh, with the choreography. I had done it in concerts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love, 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 love that piece. I just, yeah. to me, that, that piece of music, it's like Symphony in Three. In some way, it has become entirely a part of my internal DNA. Mm -hmm. So when I'm conducting it, I don't feel like I'm conducting a piece of music. I feel like it's just kind of somehow spontaneously emerging from, yeah. mm -hmm. from my inner psyche. I don't know. Yeah, and, so, and some of those ballets, I mean, well, so many of them that we do, but some of them in particular, it's just like all the pieces of the puzzle fit together mm -hmm. so perfectly that you can become immersed in it also so perfectly. Yeah. Or you have the possibility of becoming yeah. immersed in it as well, just because it's almost like the, the organizers of it, which, of course, the choreographer is a big part of it, but whoever was orchestrating all those details just made it perfect for like everybody to yeah. easily to lose themselves yeah in to it. easily yeah. like get lost in it mm -hmm. so yeah and then i have a question about like the hands yeah i i think i remember learning in music class like when you do like a three or a four it's mm -hmm. like you go down you go out, out like a three is and then you go up, up. you go down <laughs> out and up there One, you go two Three. Perfect. Down, but if it's out, a four, and it's a four, you, you go, go down, down, in, out, out right. up. <laughs> okay. What do you do when it's like a nine or a thirteen? Or I mean, this is dancer talk. We we count in 
Yeah. Nines and thirteens, maybe musicians count differently, but um. no, no, we have to. We we often have to count in nines and thirteens. Um, well, with the nine, it depends how fast it is. But if you have to do nine beats, that beautiful three pattern that you just did, you just mm. add a couple of little clicks to each one of those. So instead of going down, out, and up, you go down, 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 out, 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 up, up, up. Oh. So you're just adding a couple of little bumps to the to that pattern. So um, 13 is a little more complicated because what you do need to know is where is the extra? Mm. You know, does the extra come as part of? Because it'll be it'll be divided up in some way. It might be divided up into four threes plus one extra or, you know, whatever. So you have to know, like, where does that little extra guy fit? And then and then that becomes part of how you create your pattern. But I will say, I don't know if there's a, there must be a corollary to this in, in dance, but you learn the patterns and you want to be, you know, the, the trick to being a, a good conductor ultimately is to know when the orchestra needs you and then to know when they don't really need you and to stay out of their way when they don't really need you. And of course, we spend a lifetime learning that and sometimes we're successful at it and sometimes we're not, but... It's true with those beat patterns. Sometimes you want the beat pattern to be incredibly clear because somebody is sitting there depending on knowing whether you're moving your hand to the left or the right. Mm -hmm. There are other times, however, where that can get a little bit in the way, where the bigger gesture of where the music is going is more important for the orchestra to see. So that, that becomes part of the technique of... As I say, I mean, there might be some corollary to dance that you guys can think of, yeah. but it's not that you give up that technique, but it's that ultimately sometimes the bigger gesture becomes more important for the orchestra to see than those very detailed, minute gestures out yeah. of the textbook. That's fascinating, and it's making me think, going back about their relationship between the conductor and the dancer or, you know, the dynamic, and I do have to say that not so much about the tempo to me is be able to get a clear cues mm. from from the conductor and seeing exactly what is it that they will like to do with their arms so I know what to look for huh. because that to me is more important to be to be synchronized and to and to have that clear because I feel like I used to be, rely a lot on the counting and as I grow farther into my career I want to feel and be able to be more part of the music and huh. part uh, of the orchestra as well. Hmm. So I tried to lose myself and really allow myself to go in and to find where I'm at. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I take it from the conductor. So like whatever they're conducting, I keep my eye on them and I'm able to do my thing, but I know where I am and I know I can be together. Mm -hmm. And that to me has, it's one of the biggest explorations with the the dynamic with the with the conductor yeah. that I feel like I've been really working on. Yeah. This is making me think of two things, but we, yeah, we learn our steps with counts. Right. But it's kind of what like you're saying with sometimes a larger gesture is what the group needs. Yeah. It's like sometimes we have to remember that these steps are like sentences. They're not mm. just words. Yeah. And so like the more we can Remember that our steps are like sentences, are like phrases, and that those phrases go with the phrases of the music. Mm -hmm. Like, the more it's going to be art and the less it's going to be like steps and music. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. I remember the, the first time I did Coppelia here, I watched a, a broadcast performance with Robert Irving conducting and Patricia McBride was dancing. And one of the tempos, I, I don't remember exactly where it was now, but one of the tempos I thought to myself, whoa, that's fast. And I mean, I didn't even know the ballet that well yet, but based on what I had been seeing in the studios and everything, it's like, Ooh. but I watched Patricia McBride handle it somehow I can't, you know, describe it technically the way you guys could if you were watching it on the video. But what I could see was that she clearly needed to make a decision like this is this is fast. I'm going to need to somehow get through it. But she turned it into an opportunity to create her own gesture based mm -hmm. on the, you know, what the music was making her do. And it was so convincing. And it, and it was really... The, the word that popped into my head at the time was joyful. It, it looked joyful. You know, for all I know, she was just laughing because it was so fast in that particular spot. But I could actually see the, the sense of, as you say, her turning this. I mean, maybe she would have even if the music was the perfect tempo. But she definitely turned it into mm -hmm. a sentence that had a real gesture to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. she used it. Yes. And, and that's the sign of, like, a true artist. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's when someone can... Like almost, like you don't do away with the technique, but you can be okay with letting it slide or altering it a little yeah. bit to serve the spontaneity of the moment. Yeah. And I think when you're saying joy, it makes me think, oh, when she was joyful and also like so proficient that yes. she could make spontaneous yes, choices. Yes. And obviously, that's like what we all. That's a real that's magic what we that aim you're looking for. for you know? Yeah. 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 You, yeah I, I try not to think of like marrying too much to a tempo because then. It's too predictable. Yeah. And as much as I like to, like, commit to a decision, I don't want it to be predictable for or myself stale. as a dancer. Because we do some performances many times. You don't want to have the same tempo, the same energy, the same take on that every time. So the conductor can really help with that. Yeah. Well, so here's a question for me to turn the tables a little bit, which is, when you're doing a piece of music to a recorded soundtrack, mm -hmm. do you have to sort of counteract the knowledge that it's going to be exactly the same every single time? I will say so. Yeah. Oh. Literally, scientifically, it will be the same every single time. Knowing that, then I can maybe start playing with the fact that I can precisely counter what's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I, it's, but it's a yeah. different skill. And you can it's kind a of play against that a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a different playing into it. Yeah, I agree. I think like at least at New York City Ballet, when you're rehearsing with a recording, you have to keep in your mind that it's gonna not be the recording. I think you just have to keep that in your mind. But like if oh, but sometimes there is like the piece on the stage will be to a recording. Like uh, the times, yeah, was, the times oh, that, that what you're do thinking? happen. Yeah, I was thinking more like something like the times are racing or a piece yeah. where, where you oh. actually do dance to the recording. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I. But that's I have to think about. I mean, that's a different observation too. To know that you're you might be rehearsing with a recording that ultimately for the show it won't be yeah, like that. Yeah. And and the rep director helps with that. Like you know, the show's gonna be different. <laughs> yeah, I know. Different for the show. And you're like, I know. <laughs> um, I mean. And the reason why I'm kind of thinking about it, I don't really know how to answer that, is because right now I'm choreographing a piece to canned music, uh -huh. mainly because that's all that um, the right. company... That's what you can do. Has, yeah, this is what I can do. Yeah. yeah, there's something steady and predictable about it for me as a 
choreographer. Um, there's also something steady and predictable for the dancers, mm -hmm. which gives them a certain comfort with the steps. But I think that even with canned music, if it's stewarded appropriately, the dance still can have spontaneity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There'll might there might be less spontaneity than live music, and of course I would prefer live music, but I think there can still be some, you know, because we're not the same, I mean, we are the same person every day, but we also, like we were saying earlier, you, but you, can you know, some days you're more tired, exactly some day. days you're yeah. more joyful naturally, and yeah. so I think that, like, you know, even with canned music, a performance can be different, at least for dancing, yeah. just depending on how the dancers are and how the teacher or the choreographer is choosing to form the minds of the dancers. But yeah, that's an interesting question. Hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. 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 Sh you turned the tables on that one. <laughs> that was yeah. Yeah. respecting <laughs> Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's the assumption that one of the reasons why having live music is so great is because it forces everybody to have that sort of hyper awareness mm -hmm. of that element. And also because the it's not even unpredictability, but I, the spontaneity, the, the 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 ability, the privilege of being able to be spontaneous on a given performance is something that I think not only the dancers respond to, but the audience responds to too. Yeah. Absolutely. But of course, there are wonderful ballets that are made to be danced to the same electronic music, time mm -hmm. after time. But I'm sure that it must, as, as you guys are saying, it must it must feel different night to night and. So therefore, you're going to still respond to it differently, even though it's the exact same music. Yeah, mm -hmm. but live music is always the best. Well, it's always I, the I have a bias. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, so it's I'm going to have to agree with it's you. Always on that. <laughs> what kind of future projects are you looking forward to? Perhaps like playing a different ballad that you've never done, or returning to something that you're looking forward to. What's what's in the future? I always take note of ballets that are in our rep that I haven't yet done. And I think, how much am I looking forward to doing that? And there are some ballets that I'm deciding as I'm answering this question whether to give you the name of the ballet. <laughs> uh, what the heck? Um, for instance, Episodes is a ballet that I love to watch. The music is complex to count and to perform for the orchestra, and it just happens to be a ballet I've never conducted here. Um, well, anywhere. Um, I've conducted some of the music in concert, but I think that's a challenge that I want to give myself in the future. So yeah, there are ballets like that. There are other ballets in the rep that I haven't had a chance to do that I think would be fun to do. Or there are ballets, like I mentioned Coppelia before, and Prodigal Son. I mean, those are ballets that I've maybe done once or twice. Mm -hmm. And over the course of having been here 14 years, you know, it'd be nice to do some of those again and to, to feel the comfort of coming back to something, knowing sort of how it's going to feel, but also being able to, to bring hopefully a little more experience uh, to it. So, yeah, the, there are a lot of ballets like that. Excellent. And we look forward to it with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, with the Nutcracker coming up, yes. how do you keep the Nutcracker fresh when you play it all the time? Well, there are a couple of tricks, if that's what it is. I can tell you very honestly that when I stand at the pit door waiting for the stage manager to tell me I can go into the pit, 
I have never once stood there and not had butterflies in my stomach. So that goes for every performance of the Nutcracker. So I, I can count on that to be the same feeling that I, you know, maybe not as intense as a ballet I've, I'm doing for the first time. But there's that. There's also um, the very real knowledge because often, like I'm sure you guys have, I'll have somebody coming to the show who maybe has never seen it. Or I, I have this sense of the audience seeing this magical production for the first time. And when I keep that sense as I'm starting the show, then I, I know it'll carry me through. Mm -hmm. I also, believe it or not, and I don't know, if maybe this is an embarrassing thing to admit. I mean, I, I want to think I've studied the Nutcracker thoroughly. And, but I hear things, not every single performance, but every couple of shows, I will hear something and be surprised that it hasn't really struck me that way before like a balance between two instruments or something like that. So I look forward to those moments. And then finally, there's one more trick, which, again, I'm not sure I should admit, but I'll go ahead and admit it. You guys probably have something like this. When you're this familiar with something and the technical aspects of getting the orchestra through it are no longer something that caused me any anxiety, I can actually work on my own technique. I'm not going to tell the orchestra or make it obvious what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It might be something as simple as being aware of um, I, have a, I have a bad habit of sometimes leaning into the orchestra too much. And I, so I can think to myself for the first act of Nutcracker, you know what, we're not going to lean in. We're going to stand up nice and beautifully tall and we're going to bring the orchestra to us. <laughs> you know? So things like that where I can give myself a, a technical thing to think about it's not complicated enough that it's going to keep me from thinking about the music, mm -hmm. obviously. But it's just it's it's something that I have the bandwidth for because it's a piece that I know well enough. Yeah, I think that one of the dancers, or dancers answers in general to the same question of how do you keep the Nutcracker fresh is they say they find a technique mm -hmm. aspect to work yeah. on yeah. in in the ballet. So we we do the same thing. Yeah, um, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining the Rosenbox. It's and been a great pleasure. <laughs> yeah, we look forward to hearing your music and seeing the performances. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on City Ballad, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts to stay up to date on episode releases. All of us at New York City Ballad hope to see you soon in the theater. Head over to nycballet.com to see what's on our stage. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Try take one. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I'm literally not here moving. <laughs> I know sometimes in the orchestra or I'm sure probably on stage you just want to say, "Wait, do over." <laughs> I know. Many times. <laughs> Let me try that again. Yeah.